Get ready to step into scripture with Tina. Hey everyone, welcome to Step Into Scripture. My name is Tina Wilson. I'm a pastor's wife and a mom of seven. And alongside my husband, Matt, I've committed my life to serving King Jesus as a church planter, a Bible teacher, and an author. I am absolutely passionate about making Christ and His church famous and about seeing people connect with God through His whole word with an open-ended commitment to reading the entire Bible again and again and again. This podcast is designed to help people with that. We hope that you will find this to be a supplement to your Bible reading. And in this season, we are answering questions that have been submitted by listeners and viewers about things in the Bible that just kind of make us go, hmm. Hmm. And today is a good one because whether you're reading the Bible for the first time or the 10th time, here's what's going to happen very early on in the process. You're going to come to Genesis chapter six, and you're going to read a very cryptic passage that just leaves you with a lot of question marks. Sure. And so that is the question that we're addressing today is what is going on in this Genesis 6, 1 through 4 account about the Nephilim? Today's episode is what's the deal with the Nephilim? So we're going to start by just reading this account and then we're going to get into this episode. Genesis 6, 1 through 4. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. So what is the deal with the Nephilim? Now, before we even jump into the Bible study here, I want to preface this by saying, if you're looking for a conspiracy theory, you might be a little disappointed with mm-hmm. this episode. There are plenty of YouTube videos that are going to point you toward aliens and human hybrids, but this actually is not that one. Right. We've made a commitment in this podcast to stay true to Scripture, and so we are not going to jump outside the bounds of what Scripture reveals to us, but there is other stuff in the Bible that we can look to to give us further insight into who are these obscure people that we find in Genesis chapter six, just before the flood called the Nephilim. So Stacy, why don't you introduce yourself and then jump into the Bible for this one? I'm happy to. So my name is Stacy Vines. I am a mom, a homeschool mom, a Bible teacher. Uh, Alongside my husband, we work with small businesses and nonprofits here in our local community. Tina and I have been stepping through scripture for a long time together now. And uh, both my husband and I have been with Ecclesia, our home church since its conception. So I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, Just like Tina, I wave the banner to read the Bible from start to finish with an open-ended commitment. And I love sharing the goodness of God that I find because we can find him on every page and in every verse. And that's kind of been my life's song. So to step through scripture has been um, an absolute pleasure for me. And I'm thrilled to be a part of this journey to get us started um, answering the question, What's the deal with the Nephilim? Like Tina said, we're going to stick in Scripture. We're going to read what Scripture gives to us, and we're going to stick within the bounds of that. And to jumpstart there, we're going to look at this concept of the uh, sons of God and daughters of men. And to get us started, we're going to begin 
and the only other place where we find uh, this Nephilim mentioned, and that's going to be in the book of Numbers, chapter 13, and we're going to read verse 33 together. It says, we saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, come from, who came from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. So who is we who saw these Nephilim and then saw themselves as grasshoppers in yeah. response to what they saw in these descendants of Anak? So the we here um, are the spies sent out by Joshua from the nation of Israel to spy out the land in Jericho. And so we see they, they give this report, right? They're giants, they're huge, they're descendants of Anak, these Nephilim, that same word that we saw from Genesis chapter six. So what are the Nephilim who are descendants of Anak. Well, let's look at the Anakites. And when we look at this in the Hebrew, that word actually means long-necked or strong-necked people. So it's a family lineage. This is a family trait, a heritage that has been passed down. And we're going to trace back where this heritage started. So according to Joshua chapter 15, verses 13 to 14, and then again in chapter 21, verse 11, Anak was the son of Arba, for whom the city Kirath Arba, what we now call Hebron, was named after. Then in Joshua 11, verse 21, because of that location being Hebron, the name Anak, we see it also tied to Anakim or the Anakites, because these were the descendants of Anak. Later, we can read that in Deuteronomy 9, verse 2, it tells us that the Anakites were super tall, very strong people. Again, this is a family trait that's being passed down through a lineage, something that you can look at and visibly see that sets them apart. Just to pick up once more, Joshua eleven twenty two tells us that Joshua drove out these Anakites from the promised land, which was Israel's inheritance promised to them by God when God made a covenant with Israel. So because Israel did not destroy all of the Anakites that were in the land, they did take refuge and we see them uh, show themselves later in Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod. In Gath, scripture tells us that David, who is the second king of Israel, fall and defeated giants, right? This really well-known account. We'll look at that in just a second. Obviously, this was a member of this same people group. So let's take a look at that encounter that David had with the giant from 2 Samuel chapter 21, verses 20 to 21. In still another battle, which took place at Gath, right, where there was this remaining lineage of these Anakites, there was a huge man with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in all. He was also a descendant of Rapha. When he taunted Israel, Jonathan, son of Shimea, David's brother, killed him. So, Clearly, there is a difference in this man physically. He's extremely tall. He's likened to a giant. He's a descendant of this lineage. He has 24 fingers and toes. So there's clearly a marking. So we've looked now at what scripture says about both Nephilim and about Anak and the Anakites who are associated with them in scripture. And in all that we've read so far, here's what we've not seen so far. We have not seen anything that has implied that the Nephilim were human hybrids or a product of a human, an angel, or celestial being like uh, an alien of any kind. So let's return back to our original passage now that we know this, now that we've let scripture give us the lens from which to see this scripture through. Let's go back and read that once more. Genesis chapter six, verse four. 
The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them. They were heroes of old, men of renown. For a little more clarity, we're going to look at a couple of other translations of this verse, just so we have full context of what's actually going on here. Okay, so let's check out what the ESV says from Genesis 6, verse 4. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Let's check out the the King James Version. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. So what we have here are two distinct people groups who parented the Nephilim. We have the sons of God and the daughters of men. So now that we've sort of established what this general idea of the Nephilim are, where they came from, what's really going on in verse four of chapter six in Genesis, let's look at the daughters of men. This is clearly something that is pinging us towards a lineage. So let's trace it back and let's look at where does this come from? The daughters of men, which is what the King James Version says, or of man, which is ESV, or of humans, which the NIV calls it, is an easy group to identify, right? It's daughters who are born to men. I'm a daughter of man. You're a daughter of man. We do want to pause right here and just say that if you haven't listened to last week's podcast, you really need to do that. Yeah. Um, there's some ep- some information there in episode three that's going to be foundational to the understanding of what we're about to go into right here in episode four. So I'm going to give you a quick recap because it, it sandwiches right here at the beginning of Genesis. And it's just Genesis four and five. It's the two preceding chapters to where we are right now, where we meet the Nephilim for the first time. And it's where we see these two genealogies listed out for us. Very important. That came first. So that's sort of the foundation of where this lineage begins. We have one evil and wicked lineage and then one righteous lineage that calls on the Lord. The evil lineage uh, were the sons of Cain, right? The sons of men, which we laid the foundation for that last week when we said, okay, we're going to call these for, for this season, the sons of men. Yeah. And then we see um, the righteous lineage being the sons of Seth, the third born child to Adam and Eve, the one who God restores this lineage to bring about the restoration of all of humanity, the promise that he made to us in Genesis chapter three. So here's a little more context. After Cain murders his brother Abel, he is sent away from the garden, from the presence of God. And then he deliberately chooses to go east to the land of Nod. And he is away from the presence of God. He lives deliberately outside of God. We see then that the world becomes wicked. God comes and he finds one righteous and he redeems and washes away the sins of the world through the flood, sparing Noah and his family only. But without going outside of scripture here and considering the context of the passage leading up to Genesis 6, we want to propose to you that the daughters of men are simply women of the world, right? Men and women of the world, fathered by sinful men and specifically the wicked lineage of Cain. So if that context lays a really good foundation for you, the rest of this is going to fall right in line and make perfect sense. Absolutely. Because as we go through, we're going to find 
God has always been, and we've talked about it so many times on this podcast, He's always been hyper aware of the lineage, of the bloodline. And so it makes great sense that the daughters of men are just women of the world. Sure. They're from the line of Cain. They produced wickedness. They deliberately lived outside of the presence of God. And we see that there was an intermingling. And Tina, you're going to talk us through what the sons of God are that we find there in that same verse. So yeah, I love that you said God is hyper aware of the lineage because this is what we've seen over and over again in mm-hmm. his big story. He made a promise from the time man fell from from perfection in right. the garden that he was going to deliver restoration through a Messiah that would come from a particular lineage. Right. And so, yeah, God is paying very close attention to this. And we see this evil lineage that comes from Cain, these daughters of men who have intentionally turned away from God, left the presence of God, gone east. Mm-hmm. But now we want to look at this idea of sons of God, the other side of the parentage that we see bringing about the Nephilim. Mm -hmm. So we want to look at three uses of this particular phrase, sons of God in scripture. First, I'll say that the Hebrew here, if you were to translate, transliterate this sons of God from Genesis chapter six, you would get Beneha Elohim. And it's used in a context first. The first of the uses of this phrase we want to see is in Job. And here it refers to angels. Mm-hmm. So Job 1.6 says, One day the angels, or Beneha Elohim, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And then again in Job 2.1, On another day the angels, or Beneha Elohim, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. So if this were the only time that we found this idea of sons of God in Scripture, mm-hmm. then we would say, hmm, that's odd. Sure. That sounds like angels definitely, who are allied with Satan have come and reproduced children with evil women from mm-hmm. Cain's lineage, and that's what we have in the Nephilim. But that's not the only time we see sons of God used in Scripture. Another use we find in Deuteronomy 14.1, the context here is that Moses is delivering God's law to the Israelites about clean and unclean food. And he says, you are sons of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourself or make any baldness on your foreheads for the dead. Mm -hmm. So here, God's people are sons of God. In Job, we see angels being called sons of God. And here we see God's people, the Israelites, being called sons of God. Similarly, in the the song of Moses, toward the end of the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 32, 8, when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. So that's the second use of it. First, we have angels, and then we have Israelites, God's people who were called out. And let's sit with these two for just a minute before we jump into the third use we find of sons of God. So with these two, we come to a crossroads and we have to say, are we going to understand sons of God to mean supernatural beings who father the Nephilim? Mm -hmm. Or are we going to understand these to be people of God Mm -hmm. who father the Nephilim? 
Based on these two uses, those are our two choices. Now, there are multiple arguments that are used to support either side of this. Right. Who are these sons of God? Are they celestial beings or are they people of God, human beings? Right. And we'll just look at a few of those. So on the idea of celestial beings, some people use Jude 6 and connect that to this passage we're reading from Genesis 6. And Jude says, And angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Now, I'll say about this, to be sure, Scripture does reference right. a rebellion right. that took place among angels, and because of that uprising, some of them are bound in judgment. We also see that in Second Peter 2, 4, which says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment. So there is a picture of fallen angels in scripture, but specifically we are asking, is that what's being discussed here in Genesis chapter six? That's what's being discussed in second Peter. That's what's being discussed in Jude. Jude. But I want to suggest to you that if God's intention in the flood was to wipe out a whole race of human hybrids, Nephilim being hybrids who had descended from demons or fallen angels Mm -hmm. who came and had children with daughters of men or human women, then we run into a problem when we find the Anakites that you started us off with in Numbers chapter 13. Right. And we know that they were still on the earth long after the flood because they were defeated by Joshua when the Israelites went into the promised land. Sure. So that would mean then that the flood was not successful Mm -hmm. in accomplishing what God intended for it to do. Right. If he intended for it to specifically wipe out a race of human hybrids. And then also Genesis 6, 4, that starting text said the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean? If the Nephilim were not fully human because sons of God here represents demons or fallen angels, and if the flood was intended to end their existence because this Genesis 6-4 passage is funneling us right down to the reason God flooded the earth, right? then that would mean God's judgment on the world wasn't successful in the flood. Mm-hmm. And yet scripture says that it was. Specifically Luke 17:27 says, people were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage up until the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. See the flood accomplished right. what God intended for it to accomplish washing away sin from the earth. That's why Peter likens it to the waters of baptism that now cleanse us also because it was a successful thing that God did. Another thing we want to point out here is that Genesis 6 describes the actions of these sons of God in this way. It says, Genesis 6, 2, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them that they chose. So if the sons of God were powerful celestial beings or demons, then these daughters of humans or daughters of man would have been unable to resist their coming and marrying any of them that they chose. Right. Right. So then God would have delivered a worldwide judgment against all of humanity except Noah and those eight for an action that they could not control Mm -hmm. if that were the case. And so... That goes against the very nature of Mm -hmm. God that he would 
punish man for an evil that was inflicted on him sure. rather than an evil that he perpetrated. So for these reasons, I think there are problems with our thinking that the sons of God are demons or fallen angels. Right. I would instead suggest that like Moses called the Israelites, sons of God are just God's people. Mm-hmm. And we introduced this idea last week in our episode about Enoch and people who didn't die. And like Stacy, you've already kind of alluded to these two lineages that we see in the chapters preceding Genesis 6. We have the lineage of Cain, which we said last week is sons of man mm-hmm. or in this case, daughters of man that we've seen in the account of the Nephilim. So that stands in contrast to the lineage of Seth, who we called last week the sons of God. And I want to just show you why we said that. And I think we might have talked about this last week also, but Genesis 5, 3, when Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. I don't think it's an accident that God put those extra words in there. No word is not, is listed on accident, right. for sure. In his own image. So we know that Adam was made in the image of God. God created him to be his image bearer, mm-hmm. to rest and rule with his creation. But then his first son intentionally sinned, like you said, turned away from God and walked away from God, where he went off to raise a wicked lineage that we talked about last week, and that's described in Genesis 4. Then his second son was no more because he was murdered by the first. Now Adam gives birth to a third son, a son of God, a son in his own image, in the image of Adam and in the image of God. And it's through this son that God was going to bring about Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Listen to this. Luke 3.38 gives the lineage of Jesus going all the way back to Adam. And Mm -hmm. here's that section. The son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Mm -hmm. So Adam here, the son of God, giving birth to Seth, another son in his own image, in God's own image. And he is going to bring about through his lineage, Jesus, the Messiah. So the question that we're looking at looking at today is not who are the sons of God, it's what's the deal with the Nephilim. Mm -hmm. But to figure that out, we have to go to the generation above the Nephilim, who they resulted from, the daughters of humans and the sons of God. And here's where we are. If the sons of God are angels, then the Nephilim are human hybrids, demons mixed with humans who God intended to destroy in the flood, but still who continued after the flood to create a lineage that was going to keep on being a terror to the Israelites. Right. But if the sons of God are the lineage of the righteous Mm -hmm. that we see coming from Adam through Seth, then the Nephilim are fully human. Right. Like you said, they have some very distinctive traits physically about them, but they are fully human and they are the people who had to be driven out of Canaan Mm -hmm. when Israel came to inherit the promised land. So after centuries of unrepentant sin, like we talked about in episode one of this season, did God order genocide? I think it makes a lot of sense to see them that way because if that's the case, then why are they still on the earth in the post-Diluvian world after the flood? Right. Well, because human tendency is to veer toward sin and evil. Right. Just like Cain walked away from the presence of God and he raised up an evil mm-hmm. lineage. Again, after the flood, we see Noah. He's got three sons. They move out, spread out in different directions. And among those, there was a wicked lineage yes. that rose up. 
and who had plenty of time to repent, like we looked at in episode one, Mm -hmm. but didn't. And so were destroyed by the Israelites as they came in to inherit the promised land. You're absolutely right, Tina. And so just to kind of break down this, this question even further, who are the Nephilim? Let's look at that name once more. We've traced it out in scripture. We've talked through the two times where we see it listed in scripture. So now let's look at the word itself. We don't know exactly this word in the Hebrew. It could come from the root word nephal, which means to fall. Um, And then we see Nephilim, which could mean the fallen ones. The Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is the Septuagint, it renders this word as giants. And so again, these are a set apart, a visibly different uh, people group that are easily identified and then are given this name, the Nephilim. So people groups that we see tied to this Nephilim throughout scripture, uh, we see them tied to the Anakites, who we've already talked through. We've already walked back on that lineage. We see them tied to the Rephaites, the Emites, and the Zazumites. And we find these listed in Deuteronomy chapter two. But what we want to suggest in all of this is what we feel we actually see coming from scripture is this crossing of what is sacred, which is God's people, this lineage that would bring forth the Messiah, a crossing of that with what is evil and destructive. These people who have deliberately and intentionally turned away from God, moving east, and now whose purpose we see through the Old Testament is to destroy the family of God, to attack this lineage of the Messiah. And we see that all throughout scripture in this big meta narrative that we talk about every single week is that there's always an attempt to thwart God's plan. And he always steps in to bring about the right vehicle to bring us into perfect fellowship with him, which has been his ultimate plan from the very start. So in episode 12 in season one, to get a, a more full view of that very concept, this this meta narrative that we talk about each week, I would suggest that you go back to season one and check out episode 12. Because again and again, we see throughout God's story, Satan strikes at the family of God in an attempt to stop our coming salvation. Yeah. But yet God always looks to preserve the lineage. He is always uh, redeeming and bringing about his plan which is ultimate restoration of the of all of that he has created. So while the flood it didn't put an end to evil forever. Right. But that is something that will happen at Christ's return. Yes. And on that final judgment, evil will be dispelled and it will be bound. Everything will be renewed and we will be back in a restored, perfect relationship with God where his presence is with us yes. and we are fully allowed to be in his uh, righteous presence his holy presence. He did stop, however, Seth's lineage from being completely turned away and turned evil by reserving what you already mentioned, Seth's great, 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 great grandson, Noah. Yes. He was the one found righteous in all of the world at his time. But accordingly, even after the flood, evil rose again and God again, like he has done over and over. And like we talked a lot about already in this season, he rendered his righteous judgment, like what we've talked about in this season so far with Sodom and Gomorrah and uh, those living in Canaan, where they would drive out those living in the promised land. Why? Because it was a righteous judgment, not genocide. So one such famed victory 
um, that we have already touched on uh, just a moment here in this episode that Tina's going to walk us through is another encounter where we see a descendant of the Nephilim uh, coming against in an attempt to destroy the lineage of God through the nation of Israel. And we see that um, in David's victory over the giant Goliath. But Tina, what does all of that have to do with us, this idea of Nephilim, this crossing of what is sacred and what is evil and wicked, God's redemption plan and the lineage of the Messiah, these sons of God, what does that have to do with us? And how can we as New Testament believers and followers of Jesus put this into practice and understand today? That's a great question because, you know, let's back up for a minute. We, to get us to this point, needed to identify the sons of God. Mm -hmm. And we said there are three ways that we find these described in Scripture. We find this phrasing used, sons of God. One we found in Job, chapters 1 and 2, and it describes fallen angels who come before God to accuse mankind alongside Satan. Then we saw it used by Moses to describe God's called out people, the Israelites, through whom he would bring about the Messiah. And we are suggesting in this episode that that is the way sons of God is used as it relates to the Nephilim. But there is a third way we see sons of God used, and that's the application for our context. Sons of God refers to godly people or Christians Mm -hmm. in the New Testament. We see this again and again in Matthew 5, 9, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Mm-hmm. And then in Luke six thirty five, Jesus says, But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and even the evil. Mm-hmm. And then in Luke 20, 34 through 36, Jesus says, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die anymore because they are, listen, equal to angels Mm -hmm. and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. Right. So the point here Mm -hmm. is that this phrase, sons of God, is used to refer to godly people, even in the New Testament, but just in this one passage, I think it's interesting that God calls those who go to heaven mm-hmm. sons of God, and he says that they are like the angels who do not marry. Mm-hmm. Because in that starting text, Genesis 6, 4, it said that the sons of God married the daughters of men. But Jesus says that angels right. do not marry right. and that when we attain to that resurrection in heaven, we will be sons of God and will be like the angels, neither marrying nor giving in marriage. Right. So again, while we can make a case for sons of God, meaning celestial beings, demons, fallen angels, I do think we would have to ignore sure. several other key parts of scripture in order to trace out that line. So the point here is that all of us who are in Christ, we've attained that status. Right. We are sons of God. We are daughters of God. And what then should we learn from this Nephilim account? Why does it matter? I believe that what we see in the account of the Nephilim, understanding it the way that we have presented today, sons of God being the lineage of the righteous, daughters of men being the lineage of the wicked, I believe we see a warning about polluting the family of God with Mm -hmm. unrighteousness by doing exactly what Paul described in 1 Corinthians 6, 14 through 17. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. 
Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. I love how you laid that out, Stacy. that the idea here is that the lineage of Seth through whom the Messiah was to come, united with the lineage of Cain, Mm -hmm. those who had intentionally turned away from the Lord. And what resulted was a polluted lineage, not polluted because one person is better than another person, right? but polluted because people who were supposed to be set apart and dedicated to God instead intermarried with people who were decidedly turned away from God. Right. And so they got off the track that God had them on to bring about the Messiah that would bring restoration to us all. Right. And that's still the case today. Mm-hmm. Even in our marriages, that is supposed to be a picture to the world of Christ and his church. Yeah. That's a gospel tool mm-hmm. that God has given us. And so if we as daughters of God mm-hmm. unite with sons of men, yeah. right? If we welcome wickedness into that union, then how in the world are we going to uphold the lineage of Jesus Christ? We won't. We right. will produce Nephilim all around us. That's right. We'll produce it within our own lineage. We'll produce it with, you know, rotten spiritual fruit. It'll show its head everywhere just yes. like it did because the purpose is to come against God's people, to come against that line of God. Yes. And we still have this possible to us today, which definitely. is why the Nephilim is still a really important conversation for us it to have. It definitely is. Turning away from the family of God by mm-hmm. uniting with the evils of the world, that's going to do the same thing it did in that day. It's going to bring judgment on our family. Yeah. It's going to bring judgment on the world. But we need to be like Noah, mm-hmm. who remained faithful. And like you said, we need to be like David, who remained fearless yeah. when faced with the Nephilim. Yeah. I want to close with just a recap of David's encounter with a giant who is associated with the Nephilim. We mm-hmm. read in 1 Samuel seventeen forty five. David said to the Philistine, that's Goliath, you come against me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. Mm -hmm. Why? Because these Nephilim continued to be a terror to God's people, but God's people had to remain faithful and fearless in the face of that. Now, my husband recently took a trip to Israel, and this is so cool. He brought me back a souvenir that I'd like to share with you all. This is a rock that he picked up from Gath, which is the very place Mm -hmm. that David slew this giant Goliath when he used a sling and a stone to take him out. And it's just a really great reminder to us that God's people always have the victory. Yeah. But we have to walk in the purity of righteousness, the purity of the lineage of the family of God, not about a physical family line, right. but about a kingdom family mm-hmm. that we are part of because Christ has redeemed us. So whether you believe the Nephilim to be large, powerful humans right. or otherworldly hybrids, we will say this. That's really a non-essential. Sure. I don't believe that that your thoughts about this have any bearing on your salvation. While it's much more interesting to think of them as some sort of human hybrid, and right. so maybe you want to follow that path. Um, I think this is a non-essential. I think it's a matter of opinion, and I think you can make a case either way. Sure. But here's what I think we can all agree on for the sake of this episode: is that the Nephilim 
all contributed to evil Mm -hmm. that was present in the world that brought about the flood and that God washed away that evil in the waters of the flood. And the other thing I think we can all agree on is this, is that the Nephilim, giants, the associated lines that we see are no one to be feared. Right. Because we know with certainty that when we come to God through Christ, we become the sons of God. Mm -hmm. We're adopted in as God's children. We're grafted into that family. And we're going to have victory no matter how tall our foe. Absolutely. Another thing with the Nephilim, you know, for us today in context of what it looks like to be a Christian in 2023, I think it's really important for us to recognize that there is a distinction between walking in righteousness and the evil and wickedness of the Mm -hmm. world. And it can be ever increasingly difficult to draw that line unless you are super intentional about defining it the way that God does. Right. Right. Like God has always been hyper aware of the lineage. Yes. Any any impurities coming in. Impurity being sin, not people. Right. right? He's always watched for the foreigner. He's always looked after the outside. It's always been about the whole creation and not one line. Yes. But the purity of it has always been at the forefront because that was the vehicle. Yes. We have to be hyper aware of that too. And without being in the word of God and understanding who he is, what he wants and what he's doing. Yes. We will coast through in the gray areas of life, missing it, just intermingling with the world and with wickedness. Right. And we may not even know it. Right. A conversation I had today uh, was, do I wait until my life is a wreck before I ask if I have offended God? Wow. Or... Am I just trying to please God every day so I don't have to wait until I'm in trouble, yes. right, to, to, to rid my life of things that upset him? And that's similar here, you know, looking at the line of Cain and the line of Seth. Obviously, we want to be sons and daughters of God, but without an eye to look for righteousness and wickedness, we're not going to find ourselves in that lineage. And the only way to do that is to step through scripture. And so uh, just to, to make this invitation one more time, as we do every week, a resource that we use here, the point of this podcast is this reference, Step Into Scripture. It's uh, what Tina has authored. It's produced by Renew.org. You can get your copy on Amazon, but it is your way, your tool to step through scripture, to train yourself, train your eye, your ear, and your heart yeah. to find that line of righteousness. It's all around us, yeah. right? It's it's totally available. It's We have free access to it, right? but we have to open it. And yes. we have to have an open-ended commitment to it. So I invite you to pick up your resource, Step Into Scripture today, and use it as you walk out trying to fit into this line of righteousness. Again, not not a people group, right? but a kingdom of people, heirs with Jesus, co-heirs and co-workers with Him um, until He returns. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's it. That is the goal. So I hope that that is a takeaway from the Nephilim that points you in the right direction. And we appreciate you being here with us. We appreciate the questions that are coming in. And we'll be back next week to answer more. See ya.